I know that when we get to heaven, we're going to have lots of angels joining in worship, and it's going to be a grand sound, but I'd just like to request the Lord let our worship band do a couple of the numbers. They do such a great job. Holland, why are you clapping for yourself? No, I'm just kidding. He wasn't clapping. Uh, Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, where this morning we finish up the Sermon on the Mount. Yesterday, we did have a baptism at Doheny Beach. And uh, the thrill for me is to listen to people's stories. What happened to them? And um, each one is different and unique. There's a common thread that runs through their stories. Jesus is real. He changes lives. He's changed their lives. And I watched a group of people coming forward to be baptized, taking the right steps, doing the right things, building their lives from the beginning the right way. And right after that event, my wife and I got in the car and hustled inland to Riverside where I hosted an event with Randy Travis last evening. Now here's a guy who's a country music legend and an on-fire believer and talking about his life growing up as an alcoholic, as a drug user, and uh, somebody who is now building his life, though he could build it on his fame, he's got a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he's become a legend in music, and yet this humble superstar, seriously, decides, I'm going to build my life on the rock, on something that is solid, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what a wonderful testimony that was. Well, this morning we look at verse 24 through the end of the chapter where we conclude this several month series on the Sermon on the Mount. We look at building today, how to build a solid life. Now, my wife and I know what it's like to build a home. We built one up in the mountains uh, prior to leaving and coming out here. It took us about a year to build that house. It wasn't that easy because uh, It was up in the mountains, about 8,000 feet almost high, on five acres of very rocky land. They don't call it the Rocky Mountains for nothing. It's hard to build on that. To, To lay a foundation is tough because of the rock. At the same time, it proves to be a blessing because once you anchor whatever you build to the bedrock, it's not going anywhere. It's pretty permanent. It will last. And I contrast building that structure to the homes I've seen after hurricanes like in Honduras, in El Salvador, those countries where floods have washed away those homes. They were not permanent. They do not stand today. And the question that we are are facing today, really, we, we face all the time, is what are we building? How long will it last and what are we building on All of us are building a life. We're doing something, daily choices, steps that we take, and we're building something out of that. What are we building? How do we build solidly? You know about the hurricanes that have happened in Florida this last season. It's been a devastating season. One man was out amidst the rubble in his front yard. His home was still standing. Others around him had been wiped out. And a news reporter watched this man cleaning up his front yard. 
And the reporter said, Sir, why is it your house is the only one standing? How did you manage to escape the severe damage of the hurricane? This is what he said. I built this house myself, and I built it according to the Florida State Building Code. When the code called for two-by-six roof trusses, I used two-by-six roof trusses. I was told that if a house is built according to code, it will withstand a hurricane. I did, and it did. I suppose no one else around here followed the code. God has given us a code with which to build our lives, a set of plans. Now, we either build according to spec or we don't. I have friends who are architects, and I had one tell me not too long ago that his frustration as an architect is that couples come to him to build a house. They say, we want you to design a house for us, Mr. Architect or Mrs. Architect. He said, my frustration is they say that, but they've already got their own plans up here. All they want is my sanction on their plans. They really don't want me to design a home at all. Well, there's a tract out there called Four Spiritual Laws, and it says something in it like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he does. The trouble is, is too many people come to God with their own set of blueprints. God, I want you to build me my life. Well, we want to look at this story that Jesus closes with. It's his conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. He tells a story. He gives a picture. And then he applies it. And there are people who listen to it differently. So we want to look at the picture that Jesus draws for us of building a home, which is building a life. And then after this picture, the people and how they responded. Verse 24, here's the conclusion. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them, or does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now that's the picture. Very simple. Two builders, each building their own house. One made it, one didn't. You know, Jesus loved word pictures. Uh, he gave 30 parables. He loved to paint a picture in minds of people who were listening so that the truth was unmistakable. Gave 30 parables and over a hundred different word picture analogies altogether in the New Testament. Well, what's this picture of? Picture of homes that are built. One stood the test of the storm and one collapsed during the storm. My dad was a builder here in Southern California years ago, a developer, a land developer. I, I watched his ideas come to life. He built homes. He built apartment complexes. And uh, me being the number four son of the family, it was my job to clean up all his dreams, uh, the projects. I was free labor for him. But I, I watched those things get built. Fabulous. 
What we want to do in looking at the text, in looking at the story, is look at these houses. Sort of picture yourself driving by these homes and you get to look at them and see the differences, perhaps, or similarities between them. Then we want to look underneath the house. And that's where the difference lies, in the foundation. And then third, we want to look ahead at what's coming at the house. That's the storm that Jesus mentions. Well, you look at the house, not much is told about him, except um, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the other guy, a man who's foolish, built his house on the sand. The two builders represent something. Jesus isn't telling us stories about builders because he likes houses. He's telling us about two different types of listeners. One is the passive listener. One is the active listener. We all know as Christians that listening to the truth builds us up. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So listening to truth builds us up spiritually. However, Not everyone listens the same way to the same thing. Isn't it amazing how you can get two people to listen to the same message and they walk away getting something completely different from it? One can listen actively, one can listen passively. Our Lord Jesus at one point said, Take heed or be careful what you hear. Now, we can understand that. We, we have to watch out what we allow ourselves to listen to. But then Jesus said something else. He said, take heed how you hear. See, that's different. On one hand, you, you, you watch carefully what you allow in. But then the other hand, when truth is spoken, be very careful how you listen to it. Do you remember that time before Jesus' crucifixion, he predicted his betrayal to his 12 disciples? And he said this to them. He said, let these words of mine sink down into your hearts. In other words, I'm going to tell you something, boys, and I want you to hang on every word I say. Let these words sink down into your hearts. One of the problems with people listening to truth is passive listening. It's not active. It's just like, whatever. Franklin Roosevelt, when he was president of the United States, used to attend dinner parties and have to give speeches. And he found it was awfully frustrating as president to say things to people and they really didn't pay attention to him. So he tried an experiment one night. It was a dinner party. It was at the White House. It was the black tie event. And after the dinner, he was at the head of the line, and people, guests from all over came and greeted this president. And he flashed that big Rooseveltian smile. Rooseveltian isn't a word, I just made it up, but isn't it a great adjective? Rooseveltian smile. Put out his hand and shook hands. And, uh, and he decided to say something to people to see if they were listening. He bent over and he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And most of the people he said in the crowd said, how lovely, Mr. President. Or, good job, Mr. President. They didn't really pay attention to what he was saying. Except one foreign diplomat who, when the president said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, 
he leaned in and said, I'm sure she had it coming, Mr. President. (laughs) He listened. Oh, there are so many people who listen to the Bible mechanically, passively. It's not like they resist it. It's like they're just zoned while the truth is going out. Now, these uh, two homes that Jesus refers to in our text, I would say they probably looked alike outwardly. They were probably in close proximity to one another. I'm inferring that just from the context. If you were to drive by, um, they had doors, windows, two or three camel garages, depending on what it was. Uh, They looked very similar on the outside, but if one were to go underneath, the foundation would be different. Now, here's the point I want to make. You and I cannot tell the difference between a real believer and a false believer by looking at them outwardly. They may be sitting right next to you right now in this same building. You cannot tell outwardly. You can't say, there's a Christian because they're carrying the book. They got the textbook. Or they're a Christian because they come to the church I go to. Or they're a Christian because they sat last week and sang those same songs. The houses look alike outwardly. You can't tell what's going on underneath in terms of the foundation. Now, you will be able to tell eventually. And that's what we'll notice in just a moment. That's when the storms come. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's one of my favorite writers, said that a lot of people come to church, in his words, to be drugged. Isn't that an interesting description? People come to church, he said, a lot of them, to be drugged. They don't really care about what is said. They care about how it makes them feel. It's all about me. I want to feel good. Preacher, you better make me feel good. You've got 30 minutes to make me feel good. So it's not what is being said, it's how it makes me feel that becomes the issue. As one leader said, a church is all too often judged not by whether God is worshipped there in spirit and truth or whether the word of God is faithfully proclaimed. On the contrary, a church is usually judged by the attractiveness of its ritual, the friendliness of its members, and their ability to make me feel at home. I'll never forget, this is probably 15 years ago, when somebody walked up to uh, me after a service, introduced himself, wasn't a big smile, just I'm so-and-so, and I'm looking around at churches. He was shopping. I'm looking around at churches, and I just want to see what you have to offer. I smiled, and I said, well, we appreciate you coming, but I got a question. What do you have to offer? It works both ways, doesn't it? It's not like you go down the line and select the right ingredients on the back of the box before you decide to buy it. A church is a community where you get involved and you listen and take heed and build foundations. So we've looked at the outside of that structure. Let's look underneath it. Jesus said one man built his house on solid bedrock. The other guy built his house on the sand. You say, how foolish. Amen. That's the point. Why build on the sand when you can build on the rock? Sometimes people did build over in the Middle East on the sand. Bedouins to this day pitch their tents out in sandy areas. But 
a wise builder would find rocky places because that was the foundation. It wouldn't shift. Hey, if you come to Israel with us, we'll show you some homes where the infrastructure and the bottom walls are still intact after 2,200 years because they built right on solid bedrock. You need a foundation in a house in life. I mentioned my dad was a builder. When he would build homes, he would have a list of options. You could select styles of carpet, tile, sinks, lighting, etc., paint, There was something that wasn't an option, a foundation. You never saw, well, here's plan A, and this comes with the cement slab. And there's plan B. You cut a lot of costs if you you just build on dirt. That was never an option. Now, somebody might come along and say, you know, we could save a lot of money if we just took out the foundation. Not really. It's only about 3% of the total building cost. And it is the most essential. Now, what does this have to do with building our lives? I want to give you two bullet points about building strong lives and what this foundation has to do with it. Number one, a wise builder, a wise builder wants to do it right. A wise builder finds the the specs of the manufacturer, of the master architect, and says, what does God want? How does God want me to build my life? I want to do it right. Simple question I offer to you. Have you submitted your plans to the master builder? Or are you like that couple that frustrated my friend, the architect? They got it all planned out in their head and they're not submitted to the Lord. Have you submitted your plans? Have you submitted your marriage, your business, your decision making? You see, A foolish builder will come and listen to truth but not base life upon those principles. And that's why you become hearers of the word and not doers. James said, you deceive yourself. A religious lawyer back in Washington, D.C. was being interviewed. She claims to be a believer of some sort. At least she said she's very religious She was interviewed. This is what she said. To be perfectly honest, some laws seem to apply to me. And some I disregard. This is a lawyer, right? Somebody who should be all about the law. Some laws apply to me. Some I disregard. She continues. Some tenets of the church add up. Others are absurd and even insulting. I don't need the Pope, the press, or some lowly cop to tell me how to live my life. Question, is she a submissive builder to the Lord's plan in her life? Answer, negatory. (laughs) No way, Jose. Not interested at all. Uh, Number two on this bullet point of foundations, a wise builder is not afraid of hard work. A wise builder is not afraid of whatever it takes to build my life on the principles of God's truth. Now, we read Matthew's rendition of this over in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. It's the same account, same sermon. Jesus gives the same example, but Luke adds a word that Jesus said that Matthew doesn't. Jesus said in that account, He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. You get that? Dug deep. 
A lot of people are about quick fix Christianity. Something very easy. Drive through spirituality. They want victory. That's their word. Give us victory. They just don't want the battle. You can't have victory unless you fight a battle. What do you have victory over? The day. They want growth without depth. A wise builder isn't afraid of hard work. Rudyard Kipling, British author of the last century, said, Gardens are not made by singing, Oh, how beautiful, and then sitting in the shade. <laughs> you got to get out in the garden. So we've looked at the house. We've looked underneath these houses. Now let's look ahead what's coming down the pike for these houses. Jesus said in verse 25, And the rain descended. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But the next house, the foolish builder, verse 27, the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Like it or not, storms will come. Might be a trial. Might be a small one. Might come in the form of a persecution or two. Might be a a disease. Might be a family member that is involved. But at some point in life, storms are going to come. Now listen up. When the sun's shining and it's not a storm and it's not raining, you and I get tempted to build our lives on fluff. We'll build our lives on pleasure. We'll build our lives on fun. We'll build our lives on our position in the company. We'll build our lives on our stable income. And we think life's going to continue like it is. And then the storm comes, and it's unexpected, and it can be sometimes devastating. And here's here's the catch. Storms will reveal who we really are. They'll tell us the truth about what we've been building on, if we stand or if we fall. They tell a lot about us. You could take four different materials and expose them to the same element, and they all react differently. Take wax, expose it to heat, it'll melt. Um, You can take clay, expose it to heat, it'll harden. Take meat, expose it to heat, it'll fry, cook a meal. Uh, Sawdust, expose it to heat, it'll flare up, burn up. The heat of life, the trials that come, the storms that come, will make one person weak and wither away, the other person stronger, harder, more durable like that clay. You see, storms are going to ruin you or they're going to root you because you're built on something stable and solid. It's been said they're either going to break your back or they're going to bend your knee. The storms will come. Now, That finishes the sermon. That's the picture Jesus draws. But the chapter isn't done. If you look at the next couple of verses, we get some response to what Jesus said. Now, I want to give you quickly in closing three responses. We've seen the picture. Now, let's look at the people who were listening. And there's three types of responses because there's three groups that are identified. The people, the multitude, and the leper. The people... The multitude and the leper, they all respond differently. In verse 28, So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished 
at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This was an emotional response. It says they were astonished. Literally, the Greek word means struck out of oneself. Struck out of oneself. In other words, they went, wow. Now, that's my own translation. It doesn't actually say that in in the Greek. But uh, that's the idea. They were astonished. They went, wow. We've never heard anything like that. By the way, what what set Jesus apart from the scribes and Pharisees is Jesus wasn't a wimp. He spoke with authority. He spoke in such a way that it made all of the other religious leaders just seem weak and anemic. Wow, they said. We never heard words of conviction and profundity like this and insight. And boy, he set those leaders in in their place, didn't he? And what truth this is. That's great. They were astonished at his teaching. And I'm not saying that's bad. It's okay to be wowed. It's just not enough. It's okay to be amazed, but it's just not enough. It's okay to have conviction because we hear something, but it's not enough. The conviction must lead to conversion of some kind. Otherwise, it's just words. Now, this group watched, listened, been with us for three chapters. But all they said was, wow, that was a great sermon. And here's my response to their response. So, so what? You were wowed. You were astonished. You know, there's an old saying, and I've said it before, it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. It's great to go, wow, we had a great time tonight. Wow, it was a great service. Okay, now come down, hit the ground. What's going to change? It's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. There's a second response. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. I call this the superficial response. If the first one was the emotional response, here's the superficial response. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now, I know you might be thinking, this is good. The church is growing from, from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain, from people now to multitudes. Wow. And they did say, wow. Their wow response caused the what now response. You see, a a multitude started following Jesus because they were wondering, now that was good. What's next? What's he going to do now? What's he going to say now? This is the superficial response because at this point, the crowd that's following him, they're not following him as disciples yet. And it's easily proved. Just read on when Jesus starts challenging people with truth. They start dropping off. The, the wow crowd goes to the what now crowd. They're curious. They're a tag-along crowd. They're just there because they're interested in what's going to happen next. But they're largely uncommitted at this point. Now, when Jesus goes to Jerusalem at the end of his ministry and multitudes follow him there, the people are also curious. And the Bible tells us, when he had come into Jerusalem, all of the city was moved saying, who is this? Curiosity. Nothing wrong with curiosity. Some people say, I just come to church because I'm curious. Good. We're glad you came. We're glad you're curious. We're just glad you're here for whatever reason. But the curiosity is still not enough. It has to be something else. 
Okay, you remember the story Jesus told of the sower and the seed, and the guy scattered seed in different kinds of soil, and one soil was the hardened path. It didn't take root. It went over their heads. They didn't care. The second group was the seed that was sown in the soil where weeds came and choked it up, and Jesus said those are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and just life chokes up spiritual truth. Then there's the third type of soil that's rocky and hardened and there's immediate growth and emotional and wow, 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 this is great. And in a year, you don't see them. They fall away because the trials come, the storms come, the sun beats down and it doesn't last. But then Jesus said, there's some seed sown on good soil and it brings forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. When Jesus gave that little story, that parable, he described every church in the world, every Christian organization that's ever been. In any Christian organization, there's some who listen and they go, whatever. And there's some who listen and go, yes, 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 wow, wow, wow. And then they get stoked for a month or two and then they're not there anymore. Others, they go through life and life just chokes them up and they don't have time for God. And then others will be very fruitful in different stages. Not everyone right here, right now in this auditorium is an on-fire, totally sold-out believer to Jesus Christ. I would be presumptuous to say that. We're all at different levels. question is, what level are we at? We all look the same, but what's underneath? Well, we won't know. We won't know till the storms come. And then we will be able to see at that point how we have been building. The last response, and I close with this, is what I call the spiritual response. If the emotional response was the wow crowd and the superficial response was the what's now crowd, here's the spiritual response. Verse 2, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Ah, that's the right response. Worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand, touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Notice the guy came boldly. He just came right up. There was a multitude of crowd. He just kind of came right through the crowd boldly, obviously sensing love and compassion from Jesus, and started talking. But also notice he came reverently. He didn't say, hey, you, Jesus guy. No, he said, Lord. He used that term, reverential, Lord. It's a term of deity. So he came boldly. He came reverentially. He came third, humbly. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Did you notice that humility? He didn't say, I claim it in Jesus' name. I'm going to be healed now. He didn't do that. He didn't presume. He just said, Lord, if. I'm going to leave this up to you because you're God, not me. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Came humbly. But then notice he came believingly or expectantly. Lord, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. You can make me clean. He acted on his faith, and Jesus said, I'm willing. Be cleansed. So how do you build a solid life? 
Now that we're done with the Sermon on the Mount, now that all the principles have been given, all the way from blessed are the poor in spirit to this, building on the solid rock. How do you build a solid life? I'm going to give you four principles and then we'll pray. Number one, expose yourself to the truth. That's what you're doing here this morning. You've come. Bible's open. You bring your Bibles. You look at them. You read them. You expose yourself to God's truth. Number two, evaluate yourself in God's truth. That's the next step. Evaluate yourself in God's truth. Whenever truth is spoken or you read it or you hear it on the radio, evaluate yourself. Don't deflect. You know, there are some, I'm going to call them spiritual Houdinis. They know how to get out of any little grip that God tries to get on them. It's like, that message isn't for me, but I know a few other people that need that. Spiritual Houdinis. Expose yourself to the truth. Evaluate yourself in the truth. Third, dig deep in the truth. Dig deep down into the bedrock. Get past just a superficial look at uh, Matthew and a couple of bedtime psalms or Proverbs. Get deep into the Word to extract those great principles of doctrine and truth for which to build your life on. And then fourth, Conform yourself to the truth. Conform. Now, this means you evaluate what you read, what you hear, and you ask things like, is this a promise that I'm supposed to claim? Is this a warning I'm supposed to listen to? Is this some kind of command from the Lord I should obey? Finally, in verse 24, there's a word I don't want you to pass up. It tells you who can do this. Who can build a solid life? Answer, whoever. Whoever hears these sayings of mine. Don't you love that? God isn't saying, now here's a solid type of experience spiritually reserved for only the elite. No, it's for whoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God isn't picky. He'll take whoever. And then when whoever comes to him and whoever devotes themselves to God and says, I want your plans, not mine, God will take that whoever and make someone great out of him or her. Anyone can build a solid life. By the way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's a storm coming that makes every other storm in life, every other trial you've ever been through, seem like a nice, gentle, tropical breeze. It's the hurricane of God's judgment, and it's coming. The Bible predicts it. And lives will either remain firm or they will fall quickly. That storm of judgment will separate narrow-gate believers from wide-gate believers It's that storm of judgment that will separate those who are built on a firm foundation and those who are on the sand. And I hope, honestly, and pray that everyone here today will be able to sing in truth, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You've heard of David Livingstone, explorer and missionary in Africa. I've been to his home many times over in Scotland where he grew up. And have read some books about him. David Livingstone was this bold, entrepreneurial missionary who went out and just sold everything and did what God wanted him to do in Africa. 
Well, when he died, they brought his body back home to London to bury it in Westminster Abbey. When they brought his body home, he was so famous at that point for his explorations, his maps, his missionary work. It seemed that all of London showed up for this funeral. Crowds thronged this funeral procession. And when the casket was coming down the street with the dead missionary's body, one man standing at the edge of the crowd began to weep hard, convulsively. Somebody saw him and said to him, Did you know the missionary? The man weeping said, We grew up together. We were were boyhood friends. And I went to Africa at the same time that David Livingstone went to Africa. But, he said, I went to Africa for Africa's gold. Livingstone went for Africa's souls. And today it has dawned on me that I've been concentrating on the wrong world. We're living for one world or the other, this world or the world to come. You can't love God and mammon at the same time. God calls us to that irreducible minimum of a choice to make for his kingdom or for your own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've heard the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man who ever lived. This Sermon on the Mount, right from the lips of our Lord Jesus, preserved by your Holy Spirit through this man called Matthew. And these words not only speak to the people of that time, but they speak to us today at our time. You've given us the kingdom ethics You've compared old sayings with modern applications. You've taught us how to pray, how to give, how to fast, how to relate with other people, how to look at the world. And finally, you've told us that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. You warned us that it's a narrow gate and a difficult way that leads to life, and very few find it, but that the way to destruction is broad And many, many will enter therein. And then you told us, Lord, finally, what to do about it, how to build our lives on a firm foundation that is eternal with the right kind of materials according to spec, your specs, and not our own. You told us the reason for that is that there's storms that come that reveal who we are and we fall or we stand accordingly. And there is an ultimate storm that is coming. Some would say the perfect storm. Where your perfection will judge all of our imperfection. And our lives are either founded on the rock or upon sand. And we we pray, Lord, as as a body, as a congregation, that our lives would be built upon you and you alone. Your promises, your promises alone. Your truth, your truth alone. And not only would we listen to it and evaluate ourselves in it, but act according to it by your grace, by your strength, by your spirit. And Father, we think that maybe there's some who've come at the invitation of a friend this morning 
and they've been building their lives, but they haven't been building the right kind of life for the right reason with the right materials. And simply because the foundation is lacking, their life isn't built upon a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that would change right now. And as we're praying with our heads bowed, if you've gathered with us this morning and maybe the Lord has been dealing with your life, your heart, it's not by coincidence you're here. He's brought you here for this moment. I'm going to give you an invitation to make Jesus the Lord of your life, for you to surrender your plans over to Him, for you to ask Jesus, invite Him into your life as Savior and Lord, and not just come to church and not just be religious, but to be a Christian and follow Him wholeheartedly turning from the past and turning completely over to Him. If you're willing to do that this morning, I want you to raise your hand up. You're saying, Jesus, come into my life. God bless you. I just want to see your hand. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Raise your hand up. You're saying yes to Him and His invitation, His kingdom. Anybody else? you. We're so thrilled. We're so thrilled God's done that and you've raised the hand and admitted, I need him, I want him. And we want you to know that. We want you to feel welcome here in this place among this family. Anybody else, you raise your hand up and say, I'm going to surrender. This is the day. Father, thank you, and we pray that each each life represented by these hands, every heart that's behind those hands would be so transformed by your love and power. They would sense you working in and through them, knowing the forgiveness of sins and the joy of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning as you stand. We're going to sing a song, but... If you raise your hand this morning after the service, please, please come to the front and there's going to be pastors up front and all you have to say to them is, I raised my hand. When you say that, they're going to want to pray with you and they want to give you some materials that explain what it is to follow Christ. But I would like us all in this room to join hands. Would you do that? Hold hands. Now what you're doing is you're showing some solidarity here. Sermon on the Mount is over. And uh, as far as we're concerned in this season, it's not, it's not like we're going to rip it out of the Bible or anything. It's still here. But we're going to now just pray as a body that God would take all of the principles we've learned over the many months and make them our own. And by holding hands, it's like we're making, a, I guess, a covenant together. We're holding each other accountable. When we see somebody stumbling, we're going to come alongside and help. And you might say, well, Skip, I'm holding this person's hand, but I I have no idea who this person is. Uh, How could I be accountable? Well, after we're all done, you can introduce yourself. How's that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, with joined hands and more importantly, joined hearts, we ask that you'd make us one in Christ, bring unity among us as a body. Lord, we're your kids and we're bearing fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. But Lord, you love us all the same. We're on level footing before your cross. We failed, we've sinned, and your love and forgiveness has been extended to us. We're so grateful, grateful to be washed 
grateful to be growing. And we, we pray for one another that uh, every life here would grow and, and flourish on solid foundations. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. All right. Un Christ, un Christ, un Christ, un Christ.